Welcome to Game On, the weekly football podcast bringing together seasoned professionals, the male star football writers and a celebrity fan or two. I'm your host, Mark Pugach. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Game On on video. Hello, I'm Mark Pugach and welcome to Game On, the weekly chat show from Mail Plus. So three wins from three for England and World Cup qualifiers, but still plenty for Gareth Southgate to ponder ahead of the Euros. And Manchester City prepared to bid farewell to Sergio Aguero, who scored the most dramatic goal in Premier League history. With us this week to discuss all this, the former Arsenal and England defender Martin Keown, the former Chelsea and England striker Enia Luco, and the Daily Mail's football editor Ian Ladyman. Hello everybody, I hope you're well. Let's reflect first on what happened at Wembley last night. Any England got over the line in the end. They made it rather hard for themselves. What were your reflections on their win over Poland? Yeah, I think it was a it was a great it was a consistent performance for England. You know, you look at the the three games they've played, three out of three wins. Um Southgate will be happy with that. Uh, I think it was quite telling what he said at the end of the game when he said that he hasn't learned m- more about the group. Um I quite like the fact that um you know, Stones made the mistake in the game and then went on to get the assist uh, for the goal. I think I almost I'm happy that it's happened now and not in the European Championship. Uh, I think it's sort of a trademark thing that we talk about with Stones, that he he, you know, he makes a mistake, he tries to play out. Um, he's got that out of the way, hopefully, and now he will just continue the form he's shown, um, you know, with, with Man City. But, yeah, I think it was a good performance. Again, Mason Mount, brilliant. Foden, you know, brilliant. I think there's players cementing their place in the team. Martin, um, we thought he'd eradicated that from his game, didn't we, John Stones? What happened there? Well, I, I don't even want to talk about it. He's been so magnificent. You know, you are going to make mistakes. And I could see on his face, oh, here we go again. I've, I've made another one. Uh, but I really liked his attitude, the way well, you could see he had a little personal celebration um, when that goal went in. And he played a huge part in that. He's building a really nice partnership with Maguire. There, there's a kind of a love for one another. I, I like that. You watch my back, I watch yours. That's definitely our best partnership without Gomez around, who, who Gareth has never really believed in anyway. Um, so I, I saw lots of plus, plus points last night in the way that England uh, controlled the game, passed it really well. Poland quite a difficult, they made it difficult for England. And it was really we're becoming more footballistic in the way we play. Possession-based, mount. Foden, um, yes, we've got teething problems with Harry Kane coming a little bit too deep. Is anyone going to dart in behind him? He might want to use Rashford, but um, I just feel that Foden deserves to play. He's playing at such a high level and Mount alongside him. They were the two plus points for me last night. Yeah, In looking at Stones' mistake, would you say, though, that that should not change Gareth Southgate's mind. What I mean is he went, he went with a flat back four. It means there can be more attacking players in there. And don't be put off by the fact that Stones made a mistake and want to revert to three at the back. Would you be in that camp? Oh, absolutely. If you're going to change your mind every time one player makes one mistake, then you'll never settle on anything for more than 20 minutes. Football is a game of, of human error. And uh, that was, uh, that was a, a, big, a big error. Um, no, I think, it was a, I think it was decent. I think, they were, I think England were very, very good for 35, 40 minutes. Um, they looked like they were, they could um, build on what they'd got through the penalty, and then they did lose the way a little bit. I wasn't overly 
impressed with the way they responded when the when the polls scored. You know, England didn't create very much for the next um, twenty minutes or so, but but they won the game after, after the equaliser. There was only one thing that mattered, and that was getting through, winning the game. They did they did that. Um, personally, from a, a kind of football supporters' point of view. I prefer it when England play with the four. I think it allows them to get an extra creative player in in the in, on the field, which I think we also might need against better players, uh, better teams. But obviously, if we if we do go that way, it looks as though we will. Then the Nat Maguire Stones partnership that we talk about is going to have to be very strong indeed. Plus the goalkeeper. That, that's 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 the partnership, Martin, isn't it? I mean, they're good mates as well. You can tell that. I think they grew up together playing football in Yorkshire as well. They're good pals, Stones and Maguire, and that helps, doesn't it? It does, but you know, obviously, you need a partnership with your fullback, and you need a partnership really with the midfield player in front. So all those relationships are really important. Distances between them and us. We weren't out of possession too much last night, so against a harder nation. But you know, I've been watching a lot of football throughout um, with a mixed response to what some of Sky's coverage, to be honest. Um, and I've watched Turkey, I've watched France, I've watched. They've all got little teething problems here and there, as well as Turkey's played France through their first match. Germany lost last night. It's far from perfect. We, unless you watch the other nations, you think, okay, they're all doing brilliantly well. So, you know, he only made one change last night. He's obviously thinking this is getting close now to the team he wants to play in, in the summer. And I, we do look like we're improving, Mark. Definitely improving just the top end of the team. And I felt it was a little bit of a challenge for Gareth and and his assistant, to, for them to get up to speed because they'd not had enough football and they were a little bit slow to find the answers to unlock the door. thought we could have made some substitutes early in the match. You know, Lee Dixon was big on that in the commentary. Uh, and it seemed that they were a little bit puzzled as to where the answers are. So, you know, I think it will help when we get to the summer and we've got, you know, more regular football, certainly for Gareth Southgate to, uh, to, to do what he needs to do to win games of football. That was really good for his confidence last night that they, he stuck with it and they found a way to win. Any, let's just touch on Wales. Really important win against the Czech Republic. Dan James with the goal, Bale with the assist. I mean, they're playing for second behind Belgium, let's be honest, aren't they? You know, Belgium, the outstanding yeah. team in that group. But that, nevertheless, to get that win, and without Ramsey, because they need him back as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that, you know, like, like you said, they are playing um, for second. Obviously, they, they lost that uh, against Belgium. Um, Belgium completely dominated, I think. Um, it's interesting they beat Czech Republic, obviously with Czech Republic being uh, in England's group. Um, so, you know, everyone looked at that and maybe got a bit of confidence from the fact that, you know, Wales beat them. Um, but yeah, I think I think for Wales, you know, obviously there's lots of dependency on, on Gareth Bale as well, who, you know, I think he picks and chooses when he wants to perform. Um, we'll see what Gareth Bale turns up at, the, at, at uh, you know, in these qualifiers. Well, I think it'd be very focused, Gareth Bale, come the, the Euros, that's for sure. Um, we touched on Scotland last night, Martin, um, last week. Uh, that was that was what they needed to do last night. And in fact, Tierney and Robertson's uh, delivery was out of this world last night for their strikers. It was. And McGinn getting in into the box, uh, as he's done so successfully. T- Tierney's really becoming accomplished, isn't he? He was playing last night as a, in a back three. I watched some of that game as well, and he... He seems to take it upon himself to say, no, no, I'm going to get, not you, Robertson, I'm going to get the one crosses in. And he's picking them out, that edge of the box one. He did that, didn't he, for Odegaard for Arsenal against Spurs recently, before I get that in. Uh, and it's a very similar cross, but he, he's doing it expertly. 
and he's really growing as an individual. So really, really pleased for Scotland to get that result last night. But the Welsh result, to go back to the Welsh game, a uh, bit of brilliance from Gareth Bale, wasn't it? Everybody wondering, Nico, Nico Williams was playing left back, player gets sent off Roberts. He forces it a change, him down the right, puts Gareth Bale on the left. Sometimes a sending off can help you, and I thought he did. And James gets up and heads a ball. I've never seen him rise so high. Uh, so again, they were inspired, the Welsh. They've got that about them. Um, so the home nations now are all growing individually. Uh, just obviously Ireland struggling at the moment. And of course, the Republic, who haven't had a win in 11 games. Ian, I'll come to the Republic with you in a second. Any, just one on Scotland, which is Che Adams. Now, actually, they've yeah. got somebody to play through the middle. I mean, Ian Wright was saying on the telly with us last night, he likes playing in a two, he likes him playing in a two with Dykes. But it looks like Che Adams is actually giving them what they need, isn't it? Somebody to get them up the pitch, to hold the ball up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like him a lot. He's had a great season as well. Southampton scored some great goals. And I think you do need that focal point. Um, you know, I think if you if you make the comparison between the home nations, you've got Republic of Ireland who have, you know, who have no striker at all, really. Um, certainly not one in form. And you have Scotland who have a chance because, you know, of players like Che Adams, um, Fraser, you, you know, who's scoring as well, McGinn who's scoring. So they've got goals in the team, but, you know, certainly having that focal point helps them. All right, Ian, the Republic. Where do they go from here? Lost at home to Luxembourg, who used to be the whipping boys of European football. Yeah, that was um, a startling result, even for a team that's on a, the run that they, that they've been on. That really was a that really was a shocking result. I, 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 it's interesting the Irish situation. I was actually in Ireland um, last um, autumn on holiday when um, uh, Stephen Kenny oversaw his first kind of uh, game or competitive game, and there were some pieces in the Irish press about how. Ireland were going to play a different type of football and how they were going to leave behind the kind of slightly um, old school days of Mick McCarthy and Martin O'Neill and how it was time to play possession football and to catch up with the rest, rest of the world and how Stephen Kenny was going to, was going to take them there. And look, what, look what's happened. Um, they found out pretty quickly that unfortunately they don't, they don't appear to have the players to play that way. And um, I take absolutely no pleasure from seeing that. Although... I do have to say that it is uh, indicative of the job that people like Martin and Mick McCarthy did. And, you know, what a surprise, you know, they, they, those two time served um, experienced coaches did know what they were doing after all. And the reason that they were playing a certain type of football, um, maybe slightly more kind of rudimentary style is because they were making the, getting the best out of the players they had. That is called coaching. That is what it is. And that's what they were doing and they were criticised for it. Stephen's come in, tried to do something else and it's not worked. And I have absolutely no idea where they go from here because I don't know enough about Stephen's coaching credentials to know if he's capable of then going back to play the other way. I don't know, but something they'll have to give before long because um, their run of results has been, um, has been appalling. Yeah, because at club level, Martin, if this happens, you change the players or the coach. Well, you can't change the players for obvious reasons and there aren't any others. And what's the point of changing the coach? And actually, to be blunt, can they afford to sack the coach? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Financially, they're on their knees, aren't they? They're an FA there. Yeah. Um, I just, it's just really, I was watching the Jack Charlton uh, programme documentary at the beginning of the week and what he did for Ireland. And um, obviously, my parents are Irish, so a strong affinity with Ireland. To see the way the football nation now has gone backwards... Uh, in his football, 11 games now they've lost. 
they've got to do something. They've got to make a change. Um, I know that, you know, Steve Kenny's he's in front of the media and he's trying to hold it together, but you've got to, surely you make changes now. With, you, you bring somebody else in. Mick McCarthy wasn't, wasn't treated with any real respect. Um, and it's definitely time for change there. But, you know, where are the players? The, the quality of the player was so very high has now disappeared. So the likes of Roy Keane must be amazingly uh, disturbed by what he's seeing at the moment. I think the concern is as well, there's not a competitive game until September. So if you're going to make a change, it's, you know, it should be now because you've got such a gap to try and build and, and change something um, moving forward. Well, you only have to see the level at which they're playing every week, which tells you all that, you know, their lack of exposure at the very top level. Um, yeah, th- this is this is an ongoing conversation. I'd be really interested in your views. Luxembourg once were hammered 9-0 by England. You know, once upon a time, it was why are we bothering to play Luxembourg? Where do you stand? We've seen England, San Marino, and Andorra's an England group. Where do you stand on this? Should there be pre-qualification for these minnows into World Cup and European Championship qualifying campaigns? I, I think there is a conversation that needs to be had about it. That That is what the first thing... Um, and I, I can absolutely understand why what I'm about to say may come across as tell the elitist. And, it, and it's, it's partly driven by self-interest, I, English interest, but it's equally driven by um, kind of a concern for, for the game. And, and what's happened over the years is that qualifying groups for the Euros and for the World Cups have become um, so bloated, especially um, since the breakup of kind of the uh, old Soviet Union. You've kind of got endless kind of smaller smaller nations now. And I think the quality of qualifying groups has become really, really poor, really, really low. If you look at the teams that England play on a regular basis in qualifying for either of the two big tournaments, it, 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 you just look down the list of the last five, ten years, it's, it's a constant diet of San Marino and Andorra and, and, um, and kind of uh, Kosovo and Montenegro and Albania. And it's, and it's constant, easy wins for the big nations. So who, who benefits from that? Okay, the big nations qualify for the big tournaments, but then when they get there, they haven't played anyone of any great note on the way. So are they really prepared when they get there? And how do the smaller nations benefit from just getting turned over all the time? I'm not sure that they do. So if you were to have kind of knockout qualifying games like they do in the Champions League to get into the qualifying groups as a as a as a as a whole, then then the then there's a motivation for those small nations to get better to have better coaching, to have better domestic systems, to have more robust domestic leagues, to try and be as strong as they can to get into the qualifying groups rather than just know that they're always in and they'll always play and they'll always get the money that comes from that. And it then means that the qualifying groups are stronger, the games are tougher and the big nations play each other more often. And that makes that makes that drives quality up, surely. But what happens to those who don't qualify, who don't ever get the chance to be exposed to or play at the highest level, who have as much right, I'm giving you the counter-argument, to play at Wembley as France do? It is a, it is a counter-argument, and I accept it. But at the end of the day, football is it's a sport. It's a competitive sport. It's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a party where everyone gets an invite. It's a competitive environment. And, you know, you could say, well... You made the point off camera before about the Champions League and how it's wrong that Celtic have to qualify. It is wrong that Celtic have to qualify if they win their league when the team who's finished third in the English league is getting in. That is wrong. Slightly different argument. What I would say is that it's a competitive sport and there needs to be a motivation 
for the smaller nations to get. Otherwise, how how will they, how will they get better? How will how will and I'm I'm just picking a name out of the blue. How do Kosovo get better if they know that every two years they get um, eight or ten qualifying games for a major tournament? What's the motivation for them to really improve if they know that they're just in it every time? But but it is it is actually a qualification, is it? Do you know, like, you're, uh, what you're saying is create another qualification to get to the qualification level. And it's like, I think it becomes too complex. And I think it's, I, I think it's about growing the game, isn't it? I know, Mark, you've done a lot of rugby union and how they're trying to develop the game, the collective good of the game. That's what we're talking about here. So, and it's, I think it's difficult. We, the only way we work with the seeding system, you know, we've just talked about Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Neither of those teams are doing particularly well at the moment. Um, I just think it's too complex to change it. Do we, do we want international football to be to be interesting? Do we want it to be interesting outside of the summer tournaments? Because because qualification campaigns, apart from for kind of football nerds like us, qualification campaigns largely have a tendency to turn a large percentage of the public off because there's, because they think, why am I going to turn up turn on the tally on a Wednesday night to watch England play? Um, England to play Albania at home when we know they're going to win 4-0 what, what, what? that's where the Nations League yeah. and the Nations it, League has worked well yeah. so, any, any, it's the lack of jeopardy I think I mean there's two ways to look at it one from the minnows do they need the exposure how do they get better as Ian has said very eloquently the other side is the lack of jeopardy as Ian said as well you, yeah. you know I, was, I remember growing up are, are England going to qualify and they didn't always qualify and it was devastating yeah. but okay. now you know well England will qualify yeah, I was just about to say that the Nations League, I think, has bridged that gap in the sense that it's moved away from sort of meaningless friendlies mm. to competition for, for England. You know, they lost to Belgium, lost to Denmark. Mm. You know, we, although they lost, you kind of want to see that level of competition. I'm a bit, I'm with Ian. I think there has to be a bit of a filter. The gap is, I mean, I was at the San Marino game, obviously, with you, Mark, and sometimes it was embarrassing. Mm. You know, aside from the keeper, it was like cringy, you know. And, and look, they all deserve to play for their country, um, but the gap is too big. So how, how can you sort of provide a filter where maybe at the early stages they have more competition that's commensurate to their level and then obviously the best gets through? Let's talk about Sergio Aguero, Eni. Um, what, a, what an amazing career coming to an end at Manchester City. Who's to say it won't end with even the biggest prize of all? Because that would be incredible. Where do you rank him when it comes to Premier League strikers down the years? Well, I think, you know, me being a small pocket rocket type striker, um, you know, I, I, Sergio Aguero is, you know, similar in, in that, you know, he's, he's diminutive, he's small, he's, he scores goals, he's, he's, you know, he's been, he's been, you know, one of the greatest Premier League strikers. I think the stats back that up as well. I think his minutes to goals ratio is the best. Um, and obviously he's etched in all our memory in terms of that, that winning, you know, championship winning goal in 2012. Um, but I think he's he struggled under Guardiola. Guardiola hasn't necessarily always given him the chance to really show the levels he's shown under previous managers. And um, you know, I'd quite like to see him go to my old club, Juventus. Um, I think that would be a good fit. Um, you know, Juventus have got Morata up front for me. You know, I'd, I'd take a thirty-three-year-old Aguero over Morata, um, and I think it would work well with Ronaldo. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see him go to Juventus, but look, Aguero, Aguero is, um, you know, one of the greats for me in the Premier League. 
Particularly in 10 years, I mean, Manchester City have been at the top for his 10 years pretty much, haven't they, if you think Mm. about it. So for him to be consistent and relevant and picked by and large for a decade in a team which has been number one stroke two over that decade is quite some record, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite some record because, uh, as Andy says, he's, he's just quite some player. I mean, he's he's um, he's one of the best that I've ever seen. That's that that's for sure. Um, a, a brilliant scorer of goals. Um, um, a good bloke. Um, a hard a hard worker. A good trainer. A good professional. And I tell you what, he I, I really admire the way that he gave. He he was big enough um, emotionally to accept the criticisms that Guardiola brought to his door when Guardiola first came to City, when essentially Gabriel Jesus was bought as the kind of heir apparent, he reinvented himself and he got himself another two or three years at, at, the, very, at, the, at, the, at the very top. And who's to say he can't have another couple of years um, at a club like Juventus, like Annie says, or even, you know, Chelsea's interesting. Chelsea's interesting because Chelsea really wanted him. Chelsea really wanted him um, two or three summers ago. There was a conversation, um, Caldoun at um, at uh, City had to get involved and persuade um, Aguero to to hang around, which which he did. But I wouldn't be surprised if Abramovich came back for for, for Aguero because let's face it, he'd get in that team, wouldn't he? He certainly would. Martin, what a player to have played against, Dave. Those sort of you know low centre of gravity, as Eddie says, little darts. He'd have given you sleepless nights, Martin. Yeah, I, it's interesting when we, it won't be long before we start saying where is he, where is he in the order of merit? Is he better than Henri? Is he better than Shearer? I, it, I, you need to have had a taste of it yourself to play against these people. When I ever asked to compare the Shearers and Henri's and Van Nistelrooy's, when you played against them, it doesn't leave you. When, I mean, someone like Henri would have given him far more sleepless nights than an Alan Shearer. But when you look at the statistics, Alan Shearer's numbers are incredible. As Harry Kane, if I was playing against Harry Kane today, I'd probably say I'd sooner play against Harry Kane than Aguero because Aguero's got pace and he wriggles past you. He can explode into that space over your shoulder. Uh, and then when he gets there, he's got the, you know, the quality. He's got everything, hasn't he, to, to finish. It's just how you manage a player like that when he comes to the end, what you feel is his natural life, footballing life. Um, he probably feels, I saw him leave the field of play recently shouting, no one's giving me the ball. No one's giving me the ball. He was going berserk. He came on in the Champions League game. Um, he probably feels now frustrated. He still wants to do it. There's still a hunger. I think there's something still to offer. But really, it would have been nice to have seen him stay a little bit longer. Stay a little bit longer, breathe. The next guy comes in. But he's so huge a character that I feel that the manager feels, no, we need somebody else. We need a new king in the building. Uh, you've been brilliant in the time you've been here. So he'll go now. And there'll probably be a statue outside the ground because he's been that important to Man City. He's been amazing. Let's sort of finish actually here with somebody who might be coming in to somebody who might be going out in and our very own Dominic King talking about Mo Salah who's been flirting with Real Madrid in an interview with with Marker in Madrid, the newspaper there, after he refused to rule out a move away from Anfield and this as they're about to meet Real Madrid and Liverpool in the Champions League. What's going on in Mo Salah's head? Can we have a guess as to what's going on in there? Yeah, I mean, there's been a couple of, this is a second instant uh, such as this where, where Salah has spoken to Spanish media and, 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 and spoken about his future, if indeed in slightly kind of roundabout terms. The, the couple of things that are interesting are the publications that he's choosing to speak to. And secondly, the fact that most Salah doesn't do interviews. Most Salah doesn't do interviews. You speak to <laughs> people like Dominic, who 
cover Liverpool on a regular basis. Um, they don't. Um, Salah never sits before the meet, but he's chosen to do a couple of things this season, and he's done them um, with Spanish with Spanish organisations, and he's spoken slightly fondly about the two biggest clubs in in Spain. So you can kind of work that out for yourself. Um, now, if you're Mo Salah, you look at what you've won, and this is what people forget about about you know about about a lot of the, uh, some of the foreign players. You know that why do we expect them to stay forever? Why you know these these guys, these girls that. Why do we expect them to play forever? They're guns for hire. You know, they're the best players in the world and they'll go. They'll go to the places where, you know, where they can best do what they do. Salah's won everything in England already, already, right? So why could you really blame him if he decided at his age to go and try it somewhere else? Why could you blame him? All I would say is if you have, if you do make that decision, there are certain ways to go about it and maybe kind of flirting publicly with, with other big clubs is not necessarily the way to do it. Is that your instinct, Eddie? And, and as Ian said, he's played in England twice now. He's played in Italy. You know, he fancies, well, I, I fancy Spain. I mean, that's the next natural stop in many ways. Is your instinct that what he is saying here, he is actually edging towards a move away from Anfield? Well, maybe, I, maybe I've developed a bit of cynicism now I'm, I'm, I'm working <laughs> as a sporting director, but I actually think he's trying to get more out of Liverpool. Um there's that as well, you know, sometimes yeah. players, you know, wind up their current club to, you know, he's, he's got two years left on his contract. In football, that's like five minutes for a player like Salah. Maybe he's trying to, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a contract dispute there. We know with Ronaldo, it's been the same problem. Um, so maybe there's that as well. He actually wants to stay, but he's not happy with the contract offer Liverpool have given. Um, I think it will be a bad move if he goes to a Real Madrid or Barcelona. I, mean, I think when you look at the history of players, the top players that have gone to Spain, it hasn't really worked out. Um, Bale, Hazard, Coutinho, like, I don't I don't really understand, I, I take Ian's point, but I don't really understand why there's that grass is greener um, from the Premier League to Spain, because it doesn't always work out. Um, and I don't think it's going to be easy for a club, those clubs to buy him either. You know, this is a very depressed financial mm. market. <laughs> Um, what, what are you going to pay for Mo Salah? What over a hundred million? Like, so. But you're. But Ian's right. You know the way players go about it. I think is is important. And you know, deliberately um, trying to wind up Liverpool. I don't think always helps. Martin, did you wind up Arsenal saying you're going to Real Madrid to get a new contract? Uh, no, they would never <laughs> believe me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Quick one on the Champions League in. I mean, it, it's Arsenal-Liverpool this weekend, which is a bit of a, dare I say it to Martin, who's playing some Titanic matches. When it's ninth v seventh, it says it all. It's about Europe for both of them. But how do you see the Liverpool-Madrid tie? Um, I still think Liverpool have got, have got a slightly better chance of getting in the top four that people, than people think, you know. They're slightly closer than you might think, and, mm. and no one's really making a claim for that fourth place. But anyway, that wasn't your question. Um, I think, look, I think Liverpool... <sighs> I think Liverpool have got it all on to to to, to beat anyone of, of real substance at the moment. I mean, there hasn't really this this kind of decline of theirs, temporary as I think it will prove to be. This decline of theirs is probably bottomed out now, but it hasn't really started to kind of come particularly back up. They haven't really started to climb up the hill on the other side yet, have they? They still look vulnerable to me, and I, and I do think that talk what say what we like about what they might be able to do with the ball. That central defensive situation, obviously with Gomez and uh, Matip 
and Van Dijk all being long term and no prospect of of them returning, I just don't see how Liverpool win big games without a, without a proper central defensive partnership. Both teams have been underwhelming. You know, we're looking at Arsenal, Liverpool. Um, Arsenal's such a bad start to the start of the season. Uh, and if you look at a league table since Christmas, well, Arsenal are in third, uh, a point behind um, West Ham. So you can't say the second half hasn't been good, but immediately they, they have a slip-up. They're really under that scrutiny because they can't afford any more slip-ups. Um, I see this as a game that Arsenal can very definitely win. Um, but if Arsenal win the Europa League uh, trophy this year, they get back, launches them back into the big time. And I think... Sorry, Martin, I just to just, um, uh, make clear what I meant, I, wasn't, I was saying that I can't see Liverpool beating a big European side. I can see them beating Arsenal with the greatest respect. <laughs> I can't. You know, I can't. I'm talking about a big Look, European game. Yeah, yeah. but the, the slump that you say that they're, they've only beaten Wolves recently, uh, that's one game. Mm. And, and I, if you look at the central defence, I don't think they've addressed it at all. And that's it from Game On. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. That's it from me, Mark Pugat. See you next week for more Game On.